since I have had two psychotic breaks, not a yeah. single person from Netflix from that show have even contacted me or emailed me to ask me if I'm okay. If you play Yakira, then you play Marina Thompson, then who is Ruby Walker? <laughs> That's something that I've kind of been, you know, actively trying to explore and understand. I mean, I'm not even that young. I thought I'd lose my dad in my 40s when I lost him when I was 26. And I was like, oh my God. It was a really tormenting place for me to be because my character was like very alienated, very ostracized. I want to be independent. I want to be perceived as strong. No one really wants to be looked at as being vulnerable. That's amazing. Um, just to move it on to a, a lighter note. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to The Bakery, everyone. This is The Loaf Podcast, where we break bread with the world's finest. We're very lucky to be here today with Ruby Barker. She's most famous for her role as Marina Thompson in Bridgerton, but she's also featured in films such as How to Stop a Recurring Dream as the main character, Yakira. Ruby, thanks for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. How have things been lately? All good? Um, yeah, yeah, they've been good. It's been, mm -hmm. it's been like a kind of weird year. Um, but all in all, I genuinely have had a really good time. I've done lots of things, especially with Mind. I'm an ambassador for them, mental health charity. That's really cool. Um, I was at number 10. It was I saw that day. on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was I, that like? It was like sort of going to the upper echelons of hell. <laughs> I didn't get a follow back, you know. But <laughs> I did follow you back. Really? Yeah. What, Ollie Walsh? On your Instagram. Yes, no I did. No way. Respect. I don't know how I didn't see that. Right. Okay. That's okay. cool. Anyway, yeah. Um, tell us about what you're doing with mine then. What's the... So I'm an ambassador for them. So I'm just helping mm -hmm. them with um, campaigns, in particularly the Racist Standard campaign, um, which are running right now. And we're asking for the government to reform the Mental Health Act before the next general election. And then we're mm. also asking them to really do a deep dive and look into the current state of mm -hmm. care in psych wards and also the resources, the amount of support and training that's there for staff. Mm. Um, we want people to have more of a say in their care. Um, Is this as part of the mental health, reforming the Mental Health Act? Or like which, yeah, you know, yeah. Which so specifically like? so the, the main thing that we're campaigning for is to mm -hmm. reform the Mental Health Act, but the mm -hmm. whole campaign raises standard. It, it's, we're, we've got so many demands basically. Um, as part of Raise the Standard. So it's not just a mental health act that we want reforming. Mm -hmm. We want them to genuinely like investigate what's been going on in the past and then, you know, take the appropriate measures to improve things in the future for people. Whether or not that will happen, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe in a while, you know, we're working with, um, it's less of like a legislative thing. We're working with this thing called the Checking Co. I don't know if you know Matthew Johnson. Who's that? He's like a presenter on this movie. Oh, he's with Mind as well, actually. He's an ambassador. He's with Mind as well. Yeah, he's with Mind. He's basically, he's always a TV presenter for ITV. And he was one of the earliest guests we got on the podcast. And it was really exciting when we got to him. He's like 100K followers and mm -hmm. we're really gassed. But I think part of it is that we're a podcast, I think, and Ollie and I are quite focused on mental health ourselves. And yeah. um, I think raising awareness on that is, is important. It was Mental Health Awareness Day just last week. Mm -hmm. And we, 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 we paired up with Matthew Johnson and his charity kind of sticking posters around benches, raising awareness for mental health and just getting people to check in with each other. Because I think yeah. just talking about it is is the most important thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. 
I sort of, I do kind of feel like I'm this um, acceptable face of mental health. Mm-hmm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Could you expand? Well, I, I, I just sort of feel like I'm, you know, not to like blow my own trumpet, but yeah. because I look relatively kind of put together, together put like, together yeah, yeah. right now. It's true. You know? People are all for like mental health support, I feel often when like, Somebody's put together and yeah. they're talking about a difficulty and it's like, well, okay, but like if somebody has schizophrenia, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like it's a mess, like yeah, people don't like it as much. Yeah. But um, you're quite big on like kind of checking in with this is the whole thing of the checking code, it's like checking in with yourself, self-talk, and you're quite big on that. What would be like your general tips to someone who's like, you know, just like taking it easy and that kind of thing? Like, how would you speak to someone who's asking you for advice? Let's say. Um what I would say. well what helped me the most and it did take me a long time to sort of come Mm. around to this is exercise exercising that sort of routine of that um i mean i'm I'm not like the rock you know i'm not (laughs) Dwayne. i'm not up at five o'clock in the morning and you don't have to be no you don't have to be um but just like moving walking um and then slowly sort of implementing going to the gym if that's your thing or yeah bouldering indoor bouldering outdoor bouldering and the people that bouldering sort is of so meet, fun that it works. right it's yeah. really good and and it's hard to stress about anything when you're clinging onto falling. a wall apart from falling and breaking <laughs> that's stressing me like when the, like the <laughs> one time like the, somebody moved the mattress you know it's like the big crash mattress were you outdoors no it was like an inside thing okay it's like actual like, you know, like rock climbing it. with like the holes. It's yeah, not like yeah. would you do bouldering like actually on boulders kind of thing? Like, uh, like, no, that's too hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah, so yeah. basically in Malta, um my, my best friend in Malta and his his dad, his dad is like fifty, and when we go swimming, he's just obsessed with rock climbing. And in Malta, I don't know if you can picture it, it's like an island with these huge Lord of the Rings style rocks. Yeah, and, yeah. And he's this fifty year old man and he'll just start climbing and scaling these huge rocks and then and then I try it. I'm like, well, if you can manage, surely. <laughs> and then you grab onto it and the fingers start bleeding and it's just incredible. It's on your feet is the issue. Yeah, as well. I don't know if you've done it like climbing out of the sea, but like when there's like this sharp bits under the sea, it like, messes you up. So painful. I've not done So you've, you've done a lot of climbing outdoors? No, just like by the sea. Like basically my grandparents live kind of by the sea. Okay. So I just like climb up like one meter and jump out. So it's not like some sort of professional thing. Okay. Yeah, but um, just on the exercise thing, I think I found it, help for myself and and i think there is still stigma around mental health but i think we've got to be open about that kind of thing and and i was wondering how exercise has helped you now in the last maybe two years and how you've how you've kind of worked on your own Mm. mental health through maybe exercise or through talking about it or awareness Mm. well well for me you know i I went on to like a medication for my mental health Mm. which literally i'm not joking turned me into a zombie really yeah yeah for real like i was i was on i was on this stuff and you know the name um it was olanzapine okay and the milligram of it 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 was so high you know it's one of these drugs Mm. as well like if you go into a psych ward or into hospital this is the cheapest drug and yeah, it will sort of bring people relatively back down to earth. So of course it really does get overprescribed, one yeah, might yeah. say. Um, they will just blanket, put them on that, you know? Um, so I was on this, and when you're on it, you have to stay on it for a minimum of a year. For it to like become effective was like No, because if if you it. come off it, if you come off it early, then you run risk of then having another episode. Wow breakdown whatever okay right so you've got to stay on it for a year but there is a huge correlation with these drugs in particularly antipsychotic drugs 
and extreme weight gain very, very quickly because you never feel hungry. You never mm-hmm. feel full. Um, and it's really hard to get up and to move because you're just completely, there's, there's no one home. I mean, my friends would um, like video call me and stuff. And, you know, we talk about it now and they say there were times when we were on a phone call shoot or a video call to you and they were thinking, um, is there any, should we, should we just hang up? Because she's clearly not here. Wow. Do you know what I mean? We don't. We yeah. don't want to hang up the phone because that that would just be Sorry. awful. But she's clearly <laughs> Sorry, not in just, the room. Just to give me context, when was when was this exactly period wise? Right. So this was immediately after I started shooting Bridgerton, okay. and then a year later I went back into hospital, which is the hospitalization that everybody knows about because that's the one that I spoke publicly mm-hmm. about. Um, when I went into hospital a week after shooting Bridgerton season one, um, you know that was really really covered up and kept on on the download because the show was going to be coming out. Yeah. And that's why... Well, during the filming, you said? Um, well, yeah, I was getting on well during the film. I was deteriorating. Oh, yeah. And the minute that we wrapped, I mean, like... Did you like, have, like, good support with it or, like... I when, I, when I was shooting Bridgerton? Um, no. You can't tell. I'll say... I So, I, I admit, I didn't watch Bridgerton before we invited you. Yeah. But I had, like, a binge watch. Okay. Maybe, like, two weeks ago. Okay. You can't tell at all. It was an amazing, like, genuine, it was an amazing performance. Thank really you. Cool. I mean, I think it kind of helped. I mean... Really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, like, you know, a lot of artists and stuff, they suffer from mental health, and I think it did kind of help me get into that headspace and that world. But, I mean, it, it was it was a really tormenting place for me to be because my character mm. was, like, you know, very alienated, very mm. ostracised, um, on her own, Um under these horrible circumstances. And 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 the thing is with like Bridgerton, I'll tell you something, not a single, and I'm happy to talk about it now, but not a yeah. single person from Netflix, not a single person from Shondaland, since I have had two psychotic breaks um, from that show have even contacted me or emailed me to ask me if I'm okay or ask me if I would benefit from any sort of aftercare or support, right? Mm. Nobody. And so, you know, I went into hospital the first time a week after I finished shooting. And um, obviously the show on the run up to the show coming out, um, I was just then coming out of hospital because it took like a year in the edit. Um, My Instagram following was going up. I had all of these engagements to do. My life was changing drastically overnight. And yet there was still no support and there still hasn't been any support for that time you know Mm. and so I was trying really really hard to um you know just just sort of act like you know this is fine this is okay I'm okay I can work it's not a problem and that's why you know when you brought up um the pretty little thing yeah that thing when when I'm there like everything's great everything's fine it's almost like I had this kind of metaphorical invisible gun to my head do you know what i mean yeah. to literally oh, to, to to sell this show because this show's bubbly and fun and all of these things i don't want to come out and poo poo on that because then i might never work again <laughs> yeah you've got this like it's like contrasting forces going on i feel yeah so basically. so yeah it's like you've got one side you're like an actress and you're also the face of even even if you're the face of mental health awareness you can't look raggedy you can't be sad you can't look sad if you're raising isn't that a bit of like this paradox where it's like emotional labor if you're looking if you're raising awareness for mental health 
you can't look sad while doing it almost i feel is, is part mm. of it you've got to be like you've got to put in a, a certain amount of emotion into it um to to sell it yeah and the narrative the the, the narrative always has to be sort of like positive mm-hmm. posi- mm-hmm. positive and hopeful you know while while we're living in this kind of this dystopia i mean that's yeah. how i feel anyway you know so it's a weird one it's it's a weird sort of world to to navigate but within all of that, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed by things that we can't necessarily control. Um, but one thing that I can control is just moving. And I and I know I know that if I move, if I go, you know, taking a dog for a walk or I do a gym gym session, I'll make it through a gym session, however hard I decide to go that day, or easy or lax, whatever, I've done something which is um which is good for me and is good for my health, you know, that's enough. Yeah. yeah. The thing we were talking about, like emotional labor being like the front of mental health is making me think about in the interview we were talking about just before the film one, you said that you were like method acting. Yeah. Do you find that, is that like a form of escapism for you? Or like, how does, how does that function? Like when you properly get into the character? Because for example, Yakira mm-hmm. is like, you know, she kidnaps her younger sister and that kind of thing. Yeah. So obviously she's, you know, kind of losing it a little bit. Yeah. To method act, do you feel like you're getting into that mindset a bit too much? Like, do you feel like you're crossing a dangerous line? Well, um, yeah, that's interesting because there's a lot of problems, isn't there, with with um, with method acting? Um, and I think a lot of the time, because I was so young and um, I never had any sort of formal training, I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just um, instinctively. Mm-hmm. feeling out and doing whatever I could do to dial in the best performance possible. That's that's all that mattered to me was to um, authentically, authentically show um, the truth of, of the scene, of the moment, of, of the emotion, of their soul and who they were um and 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 do a good job i mean all i really have to give is is my feelings mm-hmm. and i i think that's that's why why i act and i think it, i think it's also a weird kind of process of coming to understand what's going on in one's own head and one's own life but i've spent so many years playing different people I guess I got a little bit lost because I didn't really know who who I am. Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? Yes, like I was about, I was actually, it's a good point because I was about to bring up this question of identity. If you play Yakira and then you play Marina Thompson, then who is Ruby Barker? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's such a deep question. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who, who, who is Ruby Barker? Right. And and that's something that um, I've kind of been you know, actively trying to explore and, and, and understand. And one thing that I've been doing um, since, you know, um, my hospitalization last year was I started making music and stuff like that. That's been so therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. Like genuinely, it's been great. I what mean, kind of music are you making? Well, it's, it's, it started off when I was in there. I was collaborating with my friend that I met in there. And it was kind of like this, it, it it was like indie, it was indie music, right? And since then, it's gone into kind of um, 
neo soul with jazz and rock influences. Um, so yeah, yeah. But I I love the the musical side of of things and that sort of exploration. Yeah. And it's nice because I don't have a script or a director telling me how I should think, feel, and act yeah. in a scene. You know, nobody's in control of that other than me. I mean, it's this thing. I'm actually doing it for my course right now as part of a film film module that I'm doing for my course. It's the idea of directing somebody else actually affects their own sense of self because if you've got somebody else imposing on you what you should do and how you should act and maybe with music your own music mm. you have this ability to express yourself in in a much freer way yeah yeah and it, it's nice as well because being an actor you're so um you're reliant upon the industry, mm-hmm. upon individuals wanting you and, and giving you a job. It's it's such an insecure, you know, lifestyle um, to have, job to have. Uh, whereas with with music or or other forms of art like painting and stuff like that, I d- I'm not waiting on a phone call or an opportunity for me to be able to be an artist and express myself. Yeah. Um, so that's really liberating. It's interesting what you say about like being an actor being such an insecure job. Yeah. Not insecure in the sense of like being personally insecure, but in terms of like job security, because like I guess what people only see is like you have like Leo DiCaprio and, and stuff and get a movie whenever he wants. But yeah. Obviously now you've sort of established yourself, so it must be quite different. But coming up, especially because you didn't go to what um drama school, sorry. Did you feel like you were like constantly fight like trying to fight for something? Did you feel like you were gonna fight like did you have that faith of finding something or like? Um it's funny because I actually, uh, I, I feel that I was more successful before I'd established myself in, in terms mm-hmm. of um, landing work and stuff Bridgerton, like that. Before Bridgerton? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Really, on, honestly. How? like, um, Well, I was getting, it, it's a hard thing really because there's been, there's been COVID, right? That we had all the lockdowns and then the industry's been on strike. The writers striked yeah Yeah. the actors are still striking so like over 80 percent of the industry's out right and america massively influences the industry here so maybe i'm not being completely fair and obviously i've been ill as well but when i first started acting um i I was just landing things you know even just little things like uh bbc bbc doctors um cbbc i saw your um, your royal bank of scotland one oh no how did you (laughs) find that i was like you know just like doing research the interview just like youtube and then it was like you were doing an interview for like it was like something it was like some sort of play company or something when you were much younger and then they like clipped in the royal bank of scotland one when you were like 13 probably yeah okay it's funny yeah yeah i mean that was the the first thing i auditioned for. first thing you ever did yeah and then it was years before you know, I I started doing community theatre and mm. la- land. I landed a lot of jobs on the build up to Bridgerton. Um, I worked with Marissa uh, Marissa Abella, who's going to be playing Amy Winehouse. Wow, no way! Right, we met years ago. Um, I played her best friend Georgia in the first episode of Cobra for Sky, and that was starring Robert Carlyle, um, and like Lucy Kohu. So I did I did really interesting loads and loads of jobs and stuff. Um, on the build-up. I can't remember the original question, yeah. but whatever. Oh, no. Well, let's follow on then. I was just asking about, like, the fact that you didn't go to drama school, for example. Yeah. At Oxford, the reason I asked is that Oxford, imposter syndrome is, like, a big thing. Like, you can right, get talks okay. about it in the first week of, like, feeling like you're not good enough to be there and that sort of thing. Yeah. And obviously, 
finding it hard to land jobs and stuff. Did you ever feel that kind of thing? Like you were almost out, out of place ever? Or? Yes, I did. Less so in film and television, more so in theatre. Theatre. Oh, okay. I yeah. feel like it's also because, but this is my experience, but a lot of people who do theatre or there's a slight feeling that it's just, I know things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel with maybe film and television, it's a bit different. Um, but yeah, I remember going to, to theater lessons when I was like 13 the first time. And I just thought, this is not for me. And I, I, just, I just moved away from that because acting was something that I was interested in when I was younger. But I guess it never materialized, partly because, well, Malta's scene, <laughs> acting scene isn't very big. Although we do have like films um, right. being, being filmed in the country. But like yeah. Maltese actors, you don't find many of them. But anyway, my point is, I, with theater, I felt like there's this academic side to it. You know what I mean? This yeah, academic you side did Shakespeare, right? When you were coming out, is that correct? Um, I I wanted my my dream was mm. to work for the Royal Shakespeare Company on okay. stage in like Stratford. That that was my goal. I worked with Philip Breen, um, Royal Shakespeare Company director in New York mystery plays. Um, that was in 2016. So that was, I think that was my second theater sort of role. Mm. Um, so there's like, there's a connection there with the theater, but, um, I've never actually done Shakespeare. Okay. Did that not work out then with the, what's working at Stratford? Well, what kind of got in the way there? Um, well, what happened was, um, I did, a, I did a lot of theater, like community theater and stuff. I had a really good time. And then, you know, I sort of had this realization, oh, oh, you know, this, this could be my job. I could get paid for this. The minute that that, my mind changed, um, in regards to getting paid and making a living out of my art, um, it sort of became, I suppose, about survival. Um, theater's great and it's fun and all of these things, but you know, doesn't get, it's, it's much harder to go places, I guess. It's harder to go places and, and it doesn't really pay the bills. I mean, it is kind, yeah. it is kind of a privilege really to, to, to do it. That's probably why there is that academic side, to be honest. Yeah. Because it's like people who can. But talking about, obviously I'm sure Bridgeton did pay the bills, so you know. But talking about Bridgeton, what I've heard is, and I don't mean this in a negative light, but what I've heard is from a lot of actors and actresses who get like a big role is when they're kind of known for that role and you kind of feel entrapped in it and it's like hard to move out of that. Do you feel that with Bridgeton, like getting recognized on the street, for example, and people are like, oh, like Marina Thompson kind of thing. Yeah. I'm really glad that you brought up Yakira um, Mm -hmm. from How to Stop a Recurring Dream because that's my proudest work. Really? So far, you know, that's that's my baby and and kind of always being recognized for... um, Marina, I mean, you know, I, I did a good job and it was great. And obviously that's the thing that everybody's seen, but it is a little bit kind of like bittersweet as well. Cause it's like, mm. you've seen, you've seen a little bit of what I can do. I mean, but I think what's really special is, you know, how old was I? Like when I played Jika, I was like 19 years old. And whilst the performance wasn't perfect, I still killed it. Yep. I mean, we, we saw bits of it and uh, we didn't watch the full movie, but we saw bits of it and it was amazing. And I will say, the movie itself had flaws, yeah. but I would say that you were like the highlight of that. It was what, what made that movie like stand out was, was your performance, not to, not to not keep humble, but I would say <laughs> that it was like 
really stand out there and thank you and and yeah i found it quite quite touching from from what we saw together while we were doing preparation for the interview and i think there were some articles as well online that that shared that sentiment thank you yeah i'm really proud of it and um kelly who the little sister she was yeah. played but lily lily aslan dogdu the coolest surname ever she <laughs> where's I, it from yeah um her father i don't know where she's from but her father's muslim okay, okay. Um, she's mixed but um i saw on facebook her mum put up the other day that she's in an ambulance service now it's That's like crazy. studying wow. in what, in what a career ambulance. transition yeah wicked wow yeah Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, talking about things like outside of acting as well. You said music. Mm-hmm. I saw somewhere that you said you're writing. Is that right? Yeah. What kind of things are you writing? You like poems, <laughs> screenplays, like also. Yeah, um, like poetry, 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 I guess. But a lot of the poetry is sort of trans transformed into songs and music. Mm. And then um, I actually had a funny idea. You know, I have I have lots of ideas and. I end up writing bits and bobs and picking stuff stuff up, putting it down for six months, picking it back up. Mm-hmm. But I had a cool sort of short film idea last night. So, last night? Uh, yeah. Tell us about it. Oh, <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to pitch it, but basically um, my fella, he is an amazing chef, right? He's a great cook. This main character, you mean? No, no, like my my real life, my boyfriend. Oh, okay. sorry, yeah. sorry, yeah. Fella, a, I, didn't, a, I didn't get the term, but yeah. Sorry, okay, he, he's a great cook, right? Okay. He's really passionate about cooking and culinary stuff, and he's half Italian. And oh, that must be nice, right? And, <laughs> but the thing is, he's really good. Like he makes all his own bread. He makes his own oils. That's amazing. Who has time to infuse that? Is that your favorite oils? bread then? He, I love his like focaccia. We always okay. ask that yeah. question. We actually forgot this time, but that's like, because we're the Loaf podcast. Yeah, of course. We always begin with, what's your favourite bread? Yeah. It's your boyfriend's bread. My my boyfriend's bread is great. But okay. he makes his own focaccia. He made that yesterday. He makes all his own pasta. It's nuts. He's really good at cooking. Um, Puts me to shame. But one thing that's funny about it is, is that he's never cooked for his mum and dad. He's never cooked for his parents. Yeah. And I'm like, but why? I'm like, why don't you cook for your dad? Your dad's coming home from Middlesbrough, whatever. Why don't you cook for him and show it? And he's like, no, no. And I I sort of said, it's so weird. It's almost like you have to come out the closet as a chef. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like what, what? What I is wish I had this? that privilege. Isn't that funny? I'm how you just go past the merchant, personally. Because <laughs> like, also in here, well, basically, let's keep this kind of off the record because it's Christchurch. I'm sure they won't watch, but basically you're not allowed to cook in here because of fire risk because it's like an old building. Okay. So what I have is like an air fryer. Right. And like a little portable hob. I don't know if you know what like a hot plate is. Yeah, like yeah. When you plug into the wall. But they're very small. So like the best I can do is pesto pasta. Is so that really all been, like, you've the... got here? Yeah, we've got no kitchens. You have to hide it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a microwave downstairs in okay. these places. And um, I'm technically not allowed to have that stuff. So you've got to like hide it under the bed. So like I put everything out. I've got to wash it in this tiny sink. And this like. guy's got <laughs> trouble eating because he's vegan as well. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Well, so is my boyfriend. Really? He's vegan oh, really? cool. too. Yeah. That's hilarious. I can't believe it. That's maybe it. why he hasn't come out as a chef to his Italian parents. Because... I'm pretty sure they've like banned vegan meat or something in Italy. Have I don't they? know if I'm similar. I might be chatting, but something like that, yeah. That's quite that's interesting. But yeah, no, I, I don't think his parents aren't vegan or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. But um yeah, it's almost like he's got to come out the closet as being being like good at cooking. It's so <laughs> odd. Um and so my short film idea was, you know, a sort of ex-military father 
you know, who sort of makes out like he's a hard man, but actually worked in the HR department <laughs> and and his mother come to visit him in his third year at university, like a guy called Mark in Coventry and he's there with his female housemate and he's cooked all the food and there's this weird sort of tension and it's all building up to him coming out the closet, but him coming out the closet for being a really good cook. And and the president and the president of the Coventry University Food Society and his father won't eat the dessert and it follows like a three act structure of the starter the main the dessert and then as the parents leave um, Mark sort of turns around to Jade his housemate and goes I mean did you see that I mean can you imagine his reaction when I do actually come out as gay you know sort of like a a double sort of twist sort of that's thing. A, that's a good one. So it's sort of like lightly funny, but a commentary on yeah. um, gender roles. Can mm. you um, expand a little bit? Yeah, so the parents the whole time, they're kind of presuming that it's it's the female housemate that's prepared all of this, this mm. food mm. and that they must be in some sort of relationship. But it wasn't, in fact, her. It was him, you know. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I've not no, thought about it. It was literally last night. You need to call you know? someone. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to break on. This guy was on Netflix, to be fair. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, so it's like a Michael Mapogo cartoon adaptation. Okay. <laughs> I was only on Netflix for like two years. He was eleven. I didn't get enough views. I was like ten, and I'm this little kid called Amos who goes to meet Jesus. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a whole bio. It's kind of a biblical thing. It's called On Angels' Wings. Okay. And I'm like this little kid, and I'm like, oh, baby Jesus. <laughs> okay, it's not adult Jesus. My finest acting moment. You know, okay. Like, yeah. You would be a good casting, actually, for the role of Thank Mark you. in the mm. in the film. One hundred percent. I will <laughs> let you know. You I will. For real. You get, get the audition, but that is a good idea. And just just in terms of the industry, because I don't really understand it. How would you even go about like turning that into reality? Like, what uh, are the steps? The steps. Okay, yeah. so the steps would be uh, firstly finish the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, get it out of the notes app on your phone though. yeah yeah try and actually have something in front of me that I can then take to people that could maybe put a bit of money in I could maybe finance it um, independently um, or maybe I could get some sort of funding from maybe BFI or Screen Yorkshire um, or some contacts that I've made throughout my career um, or in order to get the funding one thing that I could do is I could then take it to people that I know that might be interested in coming in and performing with it. And if I was able to Mm. then secure a name to maybe play the role of Mark or to play the father, even like I worked with um, Peter Mullen, like someone like Peter Mullen, he would be great at playing the father. If he, if he was like, yeah, I'll do it. Then it's not really going to have a problem getting funding. And it wouldn't need a lot of funding either. I think with like indie films and stuff like that, or make making a short film, um, I've kept it simple, so it's 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 a good idea. But location-wise, it's set in in a in a kitchen and in a dining room. So this isn't something. I love that's, that when it's just like one set and it's just all about yeah. like people talking. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's contained, right? So it's manageable to sort of get a good, you know, a good amount of backing. Another way that I would, um, you know, help it get produced is I think about who would be my director of photography. Mm-hmm. So I'd maybe approach somebody that I know that's really good at photography. For example, Ivan Burke, who was the DOP in How to Stop a Recurring Dream. I take it to Ivan and say, are you interested in this? And if he's not interested in it, he might know somebody else that is. Or Joel Honeywell, he's a great DOP. Um, 
I worked with him on a music video. These are people I'd like to work with again. And if they were interested and they attach, if you can get people to attach their name to it, then it becomes a lot easier to get it funded. It becomes a thing. It becomes real. And then next thing you know, it gets made. That's my understanding of how it works anyway, but I'm not, I've never actually produced anything all the way to the end. So yet. Exciting. Yeah. It makes me think like you're talking about all these connections and kind of thing. Yeah. Obviously you didn't go to drama school or anything. So you came into that world. Did you feel like there's like, is there, is nepotism quite a big thing in the art world? Like in terms of like getting connections, getting auditions. Yeah, of course it is. Nepotism, nepotism is. Um, But I think that we talk about nepotism within the art world and within media because that's what we click on. That's what we look at. That's who we're talking about, right? But nepotism is something that is in, you know, across every single industry, you know. Yeah. What was that like with Bridgerton? I mean, how did you you land that role? Not not accusing you of nepotism, but how how did that even come about in the first place? Um, How did it come about? I, well, I got offered a role on Netflix. I didn't want to do it because there was something a little bit weird about the casting process. So I said, no. Okay. My agent called me crazy. I really? said, I'm not happy about that. Can you tell us about it? Or is it like, you'd rather not? Um, uh, Can you it, tell? Yeah, it was for, uh, it was. Okay. Uh, is that the, like, there's like a Colombian cartel? Yeah. 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 Why didn't you want to do that? Um, because it was something just a little bit dodgy about them whether they wanted me to or not, that was the thing getting the answer was just a little bit strenuous about performing simulated sex on stage in Ibiza. Okay. Well, okay yeah. yeah. And the thing is, that I think, you know, if you're wanting somebody to do something like that, or it states that on the audition sides and offers are coming in very quickly, but you're not really getting an answer, you know, it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I said no to that. My, my, my agent at the time wasn't happy with it. Um, but I was filming Cobra with Marissa Rabella, mm. and that's where I met uh, Robert Carlyle and Lucy Kohu. I spoke to Robert and Lucy about what had happened, and Lucy said, well, I'll speak to my agent. I didn't think she actually would, and she did. A week later, I'd signed at a new agency, and about two weeks later after signing, um, the audition for Bridgerton came through. Mm. I went in. Oh, I did the self-tape. I did a self-tape first. Um, I redid the self-tape the next day because I wasn't happy with it. I got a recall. I went down to the recall. There were all these girls there. I didn't know what roles they were up for. Um, And I didn't feel good and I felt a little bit, I don't know, I was a bit done. I went in, I did the audition and I left in a mood. Mm. And and that was that. I had that with them in like my first year exams here. Yeah. I had an exam that I thought I absolutely crashed. Yeah. And I like left the thing and I walked off on my own, like crying, whatever, like just like going for a walk. Another exam I thought I smashed. Complete inverse. I completely fucked. Sorry. I completely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely fucked the one that I thought went really well and the one yeah. that I was like super emotional about. Like I smashed it. Yeah. That's just kind of how it goes. It often is. But you got way. the role. But I got the role, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that and 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 that was that. So how was that? Mm. I just want to talk, um, just taking a little bit of a turn to something a bit more personal. Um, you've talked about your work with Mind. Yeah. You also work with the Cruise um, Bereavement Support Trust. Yeah. Just if you don't mind opening up a little bit about it, just because I think it could really help people. Could you tell us a little bit about your personal journey with it, why you feel it's important and what the trust does to help people? Okay, so um, I I stumbled across Cruise Bereavement Support when my father passed away in January this year, really suddenly. I'm sorry about that. 
it's okay yeah. these things happen um so yeah that's that's what happened um i looked up sort of bereavement support because father's day was coming around and um i wanted to support an organization that does good things to do with bereavement did they help you did you go to them for that or did you just yeah go- they have a lot of information and resources and stories and stuff on on their website um to help you process grief and understand that, that you're not alone um and then they also have a interesting uh, like a very particular focus on supporting young people that have experienced grief um I mean, I'm not even that young. I thought I'd lose my dad in my 40s when I lost him when I was 26. And I was like, oh, my God. But then I was thinking, you know, I was at school with kids and stuff. And we we're like 12 years old and there's people, you know, a girl and 12 years old and she'd lost her dad. And I didn't have any sort of concept of like what she w- was experiencing and what she was going through. Like I knew obviously it was very sad, um, but I didn't have any sort of real kind of like understanding yeah yeah and 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 how it hit me at 26 I was thinking my god like how was you know kids like go through this it's awful right I think when you're 12 like a father figure is so central to your upbringing so then not to have that I think but it's not to detract obviously from losing a father at 26 but when you're 12 I feel you're more emotionally mature as well around those kind of things yeah it's really hard. And so and so they just look like a really great organization. And then they also have like um phone lines with grief specialists where mm. you can call up um and you can talk to somebody about your grief and process it with somebody that's been through it. Um so yeah, that's why I supported um Cruise and I reached out to them and I raised a little bit of money for them. I mean, not like a massive amount, but it's a it's a lifelong relationship that I have with them now. Um I raised as much as I could at the time. And then I was at the Pride of Scotland Awards and I met Irvin Welsh, who's the writer creator of Train Spotting. Oh, really? Yeah. And okay. I and I was talking to him. Um, about you know what what I've been up to, and I mentioned Cruz, and he told me that Cruz, you know, pretty much saved his mother's life um, oh. when she was going through grief and using the phone lines, yeah. um, oh. and that really solidified in me, like, you know, I'm with the right people here, and I'm su- supporting the right organization. Yeah, you know, I think I think mental health awareness. We we touched on it at, at the beginning of the episode, but I think despite the fact that it's 2023 there's so much stigma around it still and people are so because there's so many different mental health issues you can't just group it like i say mental health but it's a bit i'm going against my own views in a way because i don't think you can group it all under an umbrella term mental health there's so many issues there because bereavement and and grief for example is is such a different feeling to um i don't know feeling a sense of identity issues so identity issues or having an issue with social situations where you can't really make friends so mental health can be grouped in so many different categories especially once you bring in issues like bipolar and Mm -hmm. and schizophrenia into into this mix yeah totally it's it's um it's an interesting it's a hard thing to sort of navigate um because it is very individual Everybody has a different perspective, a different worldview, a different trauma, a different 
type of support, um, diagnoses. Um, yeah, and I think when we think about mental health in, in like the mainstream, we, we often think about, um, you know, depression and anxiety and panic attacks and things that we can sort of deal with. We, we don't often really delve into or talk about um, like psychosis or, you know, thing, things of that nature, because that is uncomfortable. I mean, I think everybody's biggest fear is going crazy. I think if we were all to really, really ask ourselves what we wouldn't, I mean, like a lot of us, we would rather die. Before I went crazy, I would rather die than go nuts. I think it's like a lack of control there. Yeah, it's a lack of control, a lack of independence, and also this sort of like fear of being being pitied and having people yeah. worry about you and concerned about you. That is horrible. You know, I want to be independent. I want to be perceived as strong. No one really wants to be looked at as being... Um, vulnerable yeah it reminds me we had um a mental health advocate he has bipolar i think it's type one so psychosis is included in that yeah and he was talking about the way that we try and break down mental health stigma at the moment it's like oh it's okay to be sad kind of thing yeah but he said it's all well and good saying oh it's okay for your friend to be depressed but when they have psychosis and he's quite obviously you know he's quite like <laughs> an over-the-top example but he was like when you think there's a dragon in the room and you're throwing coke cans at it <laughs> suddenly everyone's like get my kids the fuck away from this person like kind yeah of thing. And i think it's like yeah it's a big difference. yeah yeah it's a massive difference yeah I mean, it's okay to I mean, be sad but yeah know, it's okay it's not okay to think there's a dragon i mean yeah, yeah. There's, there's there's levels to it I was, I was wondering we we touched a little bit on your experience with it but have you are you doing better now is that is it are things improving would you say um yeah i mean like i feel i i believe i'm firmly i don't know i don't know what a weird question <laughs> yeah, i mean yeah. like because it's a spectrum isn't it like yeah, um, it is a spectrum. for me like my psycho i haven't spoken about this publicly but for me i'd go to like like nazi universes like mm -hmm. i would just see you know the third reich and everything like i would oh just God. be like you know, really? really quite dark, like genuinely really quite scary, right? Okay, well. And my friends sort of joke about going Ruby, do you remember when you thought you were Anne Frank? Do you know what I mean? Oh. I know. So that 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 that's how that scary and dark it was. Like and because it was like during um like the first lockdown and stuff. Yeah. And this is sort of how I was thinking. And then I couldn't understand why is everybody wearing masks? Why is there a man in a visor with goggles on and you know, sheets everywhere and it was so clinical and detached and, you know, it was just, you have to do this and these procedures we have to follow, but with no explanation, I couldn't get my mind around it. Um, I forgot the original question. <laughs> if you're doing better now. If I'm doing better now. Well, yes, because I'm not, I'm not in a, in some sort of Nazi video game. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? So if I'm to compare it to me at my absolute worst, then yeah, I would say that I am doing better now. Um, but That's that good. doesn't mean that, you know, I don't have like moments of like, especially like grief, like extreme mm -hmm. grief and sadness. Um, I don't know if I'm doing better in that regard, but at least I'm, you know, I'm in this shared reality that I believe we mm. all hold. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Um, just to move it on to a, a lighter note. It got deep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. It's, it's good. Um, it's good. Yeah, to move on to a lighter note, upcoming yeah. projects. You have a movie called Baghead coming out in 2024. Oh, God. On a lighter right? note, you have a movie called the Baghead. Movie. On a lighter note, the horror, the horror movie. movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I do. I have a movie called um, Baghead, which my granddad likes to remind me. Baghead in, in Scotland, that's like a, a heroin addict. Really? I don't, yeah. I don't think they thought about this when they named okay. the film. Well, I haven't heard it, definitely, so they probably didn't think about it, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, um, yeah, it, it is a lighter note because I had a lot of fun when I shot that. Yeah. We, we all the project. What's the, like, rough, kind of a rough synopsis of plot, maybe, without <laughs> ruining anything, you know? Like, what's the kind of... Okay, so picture this. Um, Freya, Siri from The Witcher, plays Irish. Uh, Irish. I Iris okay. and Freya, mm. her, her dad dies and she inherits a pub in Berlin. Um, I, I play her best mate. And there's a witch called Baghead in the basement that can bring back people from the dead. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> and then Jeremy Irvin from Warhorse, he played okay. Pip, turns up as um, a sort of weird guy called Neil. And him and Jeremy and Freya decide that they want to turn Baghead into a kind of business enterprise and extort, uh, extort her, exploit her powers for money. Is she like a proper person? Like you can like, have a chat with Baghead and stuff and like be like, not Look, really. I'll take fifty percent. You take fifty percent. <laughs> I mean, I think they missed a trick here because I think they should have shot it as a comedy. To be quite honest, really. Yeah, no, genuinely for real. Are you excited about the project still, or it's like, um, full honesty, you know, we don't have to publish it anyway. But. No, I'm not excited about the project. I mean, like, it it was such a laugh to shoot, and we had like a really, really good time. Like, absolutely no doubt. I only did it because Freya signed up to do it, so okay, I was like, yeah. oh, go on then. If you do it, I'll do it. Kind yeah, of thing. if you do it, I'll do it. I feel like there's not that much press around it, though. No, like I, I didn't even really know about it until no. like, I did the online research. Which, which we've we've been kind of like um oh good it's not came out yet you know <laughs> like I get an email like you know it, it feels like it's coming out like next year now we're like god we've got away with it for so long but eventually this yeah, is actually like the same yeah i saw um reminds me of this interview with seth rogan yeah and he was talking about the worst day of his life all the time is the day that like his movies come out yeah. Because he's just like petrified of the responses. And even if you get a bunch of positive, like love or whatever, you did amazing. You get like the, this crap. I yeah. don't like how they did this. Do you feel that as well? Like the anticipation of it coming out? Yeah, for sure. It's a really, really silly film. I mean, like one, one problem that I have with it, well, not really a problem, but I'm just like, what? You know, but we'll just ignore that anyway, is the fact that at no point was it ever explained why she had a bag on her head. It's just a bag on her head the whole film. She has a potato sack on her head. <laughs> she like a, she like a ghost, like. She was just shuffling around in a basement with a potato sack on her head. <laughs> How does she get there? Like, what, like... Well, no, I know, I know. And also, like, she wears, like, um, sandals. <laughs> but for some reason, her toes are, like, popping out the end of her sandals. <laughs> That's probably the scariest part of yeah. the whole movie. But it's Crappy that... toes, I can tell you, it scares it's, me. It's never explained and there's, there's you know there's other things like at one point i go into her little cave dwelling thing and it's just surrounded yeah. in gold coins and chicken bones 
Lifetime Project. I'm, I'm going to watch it. I want to watch it, though. You've, you've sold it to me, though. I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch it. I'll let you know how I find it. You know, I'll be like, it is, performance. It is fun. I'm not going to lie. It is funny. But it was never supposed to be. And that's what kind of made it even more funnier. You know, because we were just like, we were cracking up when we were shooting. We had to leave the set at some points because we were just laughing really? so much. And they were like, get off. You know, we'll oh, get. They were getting like, really? Yeah, really no, they, they were like, get off. And then, and then the Germans, because we shot it in Berlin, we were like, that is so funny. <laughs> you know, like we took it really seriously and they just didn't. What is wrong with these stupid Yeah. Bones? Yeah. It was, this any is other, a serious film. Yeah. Any other projects you're excited about? Anything you can tell or can't tell? Um, oh, you know, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm doing like um, an indie film next year. It's sort of like a football, but set in a football universe, football world, right? Um, but ultimately, just before we carry on, mm, no, okay. but <laughs> I did get very emotional watching the um, Beckham one. The Beckham, why I am I crying? Do you My know sister what I mean? watched it. The only scene I've seen is like where. You know when Victoria Beckham is like, oh, you know, we both come from a working class background and then yeah. David is like, shut up. Like, what car did your dad drive? A Rolls Royce. Yeah. yeah. But no, I was crying it. But I mean, football can be quite emotional for stories anyway, you know, yeah, within it. Course. It's set in a football universe, but ultimately it's a film about racism. Mm. And it's kind of like Bend It Like Beckham meets This Is England. I love Bend It Like Beckham. Right. Yeah. And luckily I'm not playing football. Well, you would have had to train for that. Yeah, you know? I, I'm not doing that. You get a stunt no. double, you know. No, no, I'm just not. I'm just not a footballer, oh, yeah, yeah. in it. Um, yeah. So, can you tell, like, just for our listeners, you tell like a name, something for them to get excited about, maybe a date, or is this, is this all it? confidential? It's all it, it's all confidential. Um, I've got a meeting about it uh, with the producer that picked me this week okay. or, or next week now, and um, I believe it is backed by like BFA. So that's wow, really exciting. That's and um, also there was like an other project. And the thing is, I don't know what's been going on for the last four months. It's been it's been the weirdest thing. I can't say what it is, but the whole process has has made me feel like I'm screaming at the wind. But I guess that's just that's just the industry. But it would be well funny if it came through. But I just don't know. Who knows? Okay. Really? You know? is, it, is it like everything a bit vague or what's 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 the issue here? Um. Well, it was it. It's, it's just very vague. It's very vague. I, I think the thing is you can have these conversations, you can have these verbal contracts or whatever, but unless, a, you know, in any sort of business, unless the real contract is signed up and pen is on paper, mm -hmm. it's not real, right? Yeah. It's not real yet. So for easy. Yeah. So I think we're kind of running out of time. We yeah. end yeah. it on that hopeful note. Yeah. It's a good Ruby, note to end on. It's a good note to end on. Ruby, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, It's been you really guys. fun. It's a nice fun. chill conversation. So everybody, tune in for the next episode. This has been Ruby Barker. Thank you so much. This has been the Loaf Podcast. And Ruby, if you'd had anything you'd like to say to our listeners, any concluding thoughts, not to put you on the spot, but this is your time. <laughs> Do I deliver here? Yeah, you go okay. for it. Hello, listeners. I hope you're having a lovely day and um, take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening to me. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been the Loaf Podcast. We're signing off. Mm -hmm.